Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment, you're nailing it, and the next, you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. So in this episode, I'm going to be chatting with you about my process for setting boundaries with adult loved ones in our lives. Setting and holding healthy boundaries is absolutely critical to having a well-balanced life and authentic relationships. So if we want to have relationships that are grounded in connection and trust and that are truly meaningful, we have to be able to set and hold boundaries with compassion that align with our core values and our goals for those relationships. And that's what I teach you in this episode. And this is a recording of a Facebook Live that I did a couple of years ago on this topic, and it's still one of my most popular videos, and it's one that I hear from folks that they come back to and they listen to over and over again to kind of reaffirm their boundary setting process. So I just wanted to make sure that you had this information available for you to listen to whenever you need it and come back to it again and again. If you know you're going to be seeing your mother-in-law who's particularly challenging, or if you know you're going to be needing to set boundaries with your narcissistic parent uh, that you only see once a year, come back and listen to this episode to kind of... um, reaffirm how to set boundaries in a way that's loving and compassionate and true to who you are. I also give some great information on how to handle unwanted or excessive gift giving towards the end of the episode. So if you have that as a challenge in your relationships with the folks in your life or in your kids' lives, um, make sure you stick around for that piece of it. All right, here we go. We're going to get started on talking about boundaries today. So we're going to be talking about setting boundaries with our loved ones, um, mostly adults in our lives. So that could be anyone from an in-law to your own parents um, or even siblings and friends, people that you interact with. Um, Most of the time I've been focusing on partner relationships, but today I want to broaden that a bit because we have other um, significant relationships in our lives and a lot of people struggle with setting boundaries with them. 
there's a lot tied up into some of these relationships and so it can be really hard and so that's what we're going to talk about today um the first thing i want to discuss with you today is um the two types of boundaries that you need to um, kind of be aware of and have in place in order to live um, most closely to your highest intention and to keep you um, and your, yourself and your family in that space emotionally and physically um, in the space that feels best for you. So this is a topic that I focus on with um, a number of my private clients. Um, so we spend one-on-one -on -one sessions, almost entire one-on-one -on -one sessions, even multiple sessions dedicated to this topic. So I want to let you know up front that we can't cover everything you need to know in this one small topic uh, or one small conversation. Um, if this is something that you feel like you're struggling with, I highly recommend you work one-on-one -on -one with someone. It doesn't have to be with me. Um, find someone that speaks to you and that you feel can help you. Um, it's great if that is me. I love talking about boundaries. Um, but if it's if it's not me, that's fine too. Just find someone to help you with this topic because it, once you get clear on the boundaries that you are wanting to set, it can make things so much easier. Um, so, uh, and this is also a topic in the um, course that I'm currently developing. So if you have feedback or there's a certain piece of this topic that you think should be included in a course, please let me know so that I can make sure that the course is relevant for um, everybody who's interested in it. Okay, so the first thing, um, type of boundary that you need to know about um, and, and how to set it um, is what I call external boundaries. Um, and these are boundaries that happen outside of you and often involve other people. Um, these are the boundaries that we set when we don't um, want well-meaning adults to force physical affection on us, um, when we don't want our children overwhelmed with gifts, um, or when we don't want our refrigerator or cupboards rearranged without our permission um, or input. Um, and these can also be heftier, like no dropping by unannounced, um, no using alcohol in the child's presence, um, no demeaning me or disrespecting me in front of my kids, um, or maybe even no demeaning me ever. So there's the, the, these are boundaries that you're setting with someone else um, and that's kind of happening outside of you. And then the next kind of boundary that I want to talk about, and I'm going to start with talking about it more in depth, is internal boundaries. And these, um, this is, I call them internal boundaries. And these are the boundaries that you set within yourself that help protect your emotional and mental well-being so that you can be authentic and confident and safe. Um, these are the boundaries that um, we can set that to not let other people's behavior dictate our experience and our well-being. When we allow others' behaviors to leak in and seep into us, um, and often these behaviors are outside of our control, but when we allow these behaviors that are outside of our control to deeply influence our own sense of peace and joy and happiness or worthiness and self-love, we give enormous power to those, uh, those people. And often they're well-meaning people, but um, many times they're not too. So we are giving them a lot of power over us and our own sense of well-being. Internal boundaries, firm internal boundaries, help us to not let this stuff in. We don't let it into our minds. We don't let it into our hearts. That doesn't mean that we're pushing it down or pushing it away. It doesn't mean we become a doormat um, or just let our loved ones walk all over us. Um, this is about recognizing what is ours to control and feeling confident when we have identified something that is about them versus something that is about us. Because I think a lot of us have this problem around boundaries, that we let it in and we let it affect us and we let it change us. 
Um, so if you perceive, for example, let's say you perceive your mother-in-law as critical, and perhaps even an objective outside person would perceive that as critical too. The thing is, is that you get to choose how you will let her behavior affect you. It can make you miserable. It can make you grumpy um, and um, ruin your holidays. And it can make you miss out on your kid's joy and um, make your whole family have a worse time. Or you can set a firm internal boundary um, with yourself, saying to yourself, I will not give this woman or this person the power to change who I am. I am a loving, compassionate person who is worthy of gentle, loving treatment. I will not let her behavior toward me turn me into a grumpy, controlling grouch who is snappy with my family. I know that deep down this is not my problem and that this is not about me, that this is her problem and not mine. And I won't let this change me or make me not meet my goals for this visit. Um, so you get really clear with yourself. This, that, like, that conversation that I just had is something that I will do when I'm prepared to meet up or be with someone who I know challenges my boundaries. I will, I will say that to myself internally and sometimes out loud. I will set an intention that this is, I'm not going to let this person change me. I will not give them that power. That this is, I have the ability to determine who I am and how I act, right? Many of us have this problem either with our own family or with our in-laws or maybe even with both. Um, I've had boundary issues on all sides at times. Um, and I'll talk about my personal journey about that in just a little bit. Um, so, okay, so the next step is de deciding what type of boundary needs to be set. And often we need a combination of both external and internal boundaries. Um, and we need to, in order to do this, in order to decide which type of boundary needs to be set, we need to get crystal clear on our goals. Our goals for this relationship or for this particular interaction or for this particular holiday or on this particular topic. Um, all of the, you know, this is really general and it works across topics. So we need, we need to get crystal clear on what the goal is. Um, and then we need to start um, deciding whether that goal is reasonably possible or attainable with that particular adult in question. Um, at a certain point, we may just have to accept that some people are more or less capable of accepting boundaries. And we may have to move to a place of accepting reality and adjusting our goals. And for some of us, that might mean some mourning. So if we have had the expectation, you know, the hope, the dream as we age, that we are going to have a deeper, more authentic relationship with our parents, and there's one parent in particular who that has always been a hard time with, um, to, to do, we may have to ease up on that goal. We might have to shift that goal a little bit because it might not be attainable. Um, we might not have the control or the ability to meet that goal and constantly trying to meet that goal causes suffering for all of us. And so there's a place for mourning in this. There's a place for letting go and, and doing a little bit of soothing on it's disappointing that we maybe will never have that relationship with our mother or with our father or with our mother-in-law that we dreamed about that we envisioned having that we were so hoping to have and we maybe we can let that go and let our goal shift um 
So um, after we have kind of talked, you know, we set our goal. So it, we, the goal, you maybe start out with talking about, and this is what I do with my one-on-one -on -one sessions, is that I, I get the person talking about what the ideal is, what the fantasy is, what the fairy tale is. And then we start talking about what the reality is, what's actually possible with this person who we have in front of us. Not some idealized person down the road who maybe has gone to therapy and is doing better, but the person that you have in front of you right now and the person that you are right now. So getting really clear on what's realistic. So let's say, for example, the fairy tale is having your mom or your mother-in-law deeply respect you as a parent wholeheartedly agree and value your approach to parenting and respect your wishes when it comes to your kids. Is that anybody's goal or dream or fantasy? It's this totally mine, right? But the question really is, is how realistic is that? How is that possible with the person that we have in front of us? And is there a way we can shift that goal to be a little bit more attainable so that Every interaction isn't laden with so much meaning and so much disappointment. Okay, is there, you know, and and so much, you know, and the people that we're working with too. So this is all coming from the the parents, the young parent with the young kids perspective, right? Moving towards this, the older generation. I think it's so important for us to remember too that um, that they have a perspective here too. And that often when we are making parenting choices that are drastically different than the ones they made, um, whether we're intentionally judging them or not, it can feel very judging and very critical. And so we have to remember that there's a piece of that there too, but that these people are human with human emotions and human mistakes and um, human experiences that have led them to the place where they are now. Um, and that when they see us making different choices for our kids, or even, even if just our understanding of the way things work has changed. For example, um, now, you know, we, my generation is one of the first um, generations that's parenting in a place where car seats are really different than how they were when we were raised. Right, so I remember being in my car and just running around the back seat. We didn't have to be buckled up most of the time, um, especially like after eight um, years old. And so this is really different, right? And the now at times when the like the seat belts come up or the fact that they can't wear puffy coats with their seat belts over top, you know, that I get pushback at times simply because we know more, we, we, know diff we know that there are different ways or better ways to keep our kids safe. And of course our, you know, our loving grandparents want our kids to be safe, but there's a piece of it that is, that feel, that they can sense that there is some criticism there or that there was something like, that they did everything wrong. And since we're doing things so differently that they did everything wrong. And we can, as the parent now who's setting the boundary, we can try a little bit to come to an understanding of where they're coming from. Let's see. Um, Basheva says, um, I definitely have a lot of resentment built up towards my mother-in-law. We are very good with boundaries and she is not. I really resonate with giving up the dream that mother, the, with the mother-in-law that I wanted. Yeah, it's really hard. I, it's hard to accept sometimes that we won't have that close relationship, but coming to a place where we accept the person where they are doesn't mean that we have to give up all hope for the future. But And sometimes when we come to a place of accepting and when a person is able to be kind of bathed in acceptance, you know, that's feeling of 
I'm okay with who you are, they are more able to make shifts towards that kind of that ultimate goal too. So I have really found that, you know, oftentimes for myself personally, I cause a lot of my own suffering because I have this goal in my mind, this, uh, you know, this perfect picture, fam happy family where everybody's respected, everybody is treated well, um, where everybody, um, you know, knows the same boundaries and follows the same, you know, has the same values. Um, and it's just not attainable. It's not realistic. And when I, you know, I compare the reality to that uh, kind of unattainable vision, I cause, I'm causing my own suffering. And so that's another internal boundary that I have to set with myself around being accepting of what is versus um, kind of having this idealized goal in my mind. I got a little off track there, but I'm so glad that you're still with me on um, talking about this. Um, so um, once you've kind of determined that maybe your goal isn't as realistic um, and is it maybe isn't going to be possible right now, then you shift your goal to something that is, and then you base your boundary setting on that goal. Um, so if we shift from having this idealized version uh, where our mother or mother-in-law respects our wishes as a parent and truly buys into all of the things that we're doing, if we shift to the, having the goal of, I want my kids to enjoy their time with their grandma and to have their own relationship that I don't need to micromanage, suddenly that, that goal becomes quite a bit more feasible, becomes more doable, and it becomes less um, tied, less tied to who we are and um, to our sense of self-worth and dignity and all of those things um, because it's not tied quite so tightly to our deepest core values. Um, so this is something that I had to do um, personally with my own family. Um, I discovered Rye, um, which is essentially um, a very specific way to be respectful with um, children when they're um, young infants. And we extend that respect-based parenting with our um, now um, toddlers and um, young children. Um, but I, I discovered Rye and respectful parenting early in my um, journey into motherhood. And... Um, it resonated so deeply with me. It made so much sense, um, and it was a new perspective for me. So I was doing things with my ch children that were very intuitive and felt very right, but were pretty different than the mainstream. You know, I was t speaking with them and asking for permission before I picked them up, um, like talking them through diapers changes, um, really honoring their personhood and their human dignity right from the very beginning. And this was different, and it... I, we were also coming out of a really traumatic birth and a traumatic um, neonatal intensive care stay. And if you've had a NICU baby, you know that very little is in, within the parent's control at that point in time. Well, once they go into the NICU, parents often have very little say in what happens to the baby. Um, and I was in a very reactionary state um, early in my um, motherhood journey um, where I was attempting to control a lot when it came to my kids. I mean too much actually um, and I micromanaged relationships um, I rarely let my um, in-laws or my own parents hold the baby because they wouldn't hold her in a respectful way or in a wry way I mean I it was it caused a lot of anxiety for me I um, felt very highly aroused and anxious almost all the time I rarely enjoyed um, parenting when I was around other people who were interacting with my child because I felt like I had to have such firm um, external boundaries on those things um, and finally um, when I was uh, maybe my little one was 
hmm, maybe like six months, seven months old, my parents sat me down and talked with me about it and about how they were feeling. And they came from a very softened place and I was probably defensive. But what they really said was that they felt like they were walking on eggshells with me and that um, they couldn't be themselves and be authentic um, with my daughter. And that really spoke to my core value of authenticity. That's something being honest and authentic has always been something that's really valuable to me. And hearing that my parents felt that they couldn't be themselves um, with, their, with their granddaughter really opened my eyes to kind of what I was doing. And I have made some pretty significant shifts. Now, it's still hard for me because this, I want my children to be deeply respected. It, um, it, is very important to me that their dignity as humans is respect, respected by those around them. Um, but I have been able to un back off and trust that the people in their lives have their best interests at heart and that while they might interact with my children in ways that I wouldn't, most of the time that interaction has come from a, comes from a deep place of love. Um, and so I've had to make some shifts in the boundaries that I I set. And um, I also realized that I was attempting to control things that were not mine to control. Um, it is not my job to micromanage my parents' interactions with their kid, you know, with their grandkids. Um, it's not my job to tell my parents what types of um, interactions are appropriate um, within reason. Um, so, for example, um, I wanted my kids. Um, I wanted my kids' interaction with art to be, you know, authentic and self-motivated. Um, and my mom has always drawn for my children. And at first, this really bothered me. It really made me feel anxious and disrespected and that, you know, that my wishes that she kind of knew about weren't being respected and that I kind of had told her the reasonings for them in, you know, gentle conversation, um, but that she still did it with my um, kids. And then I realized that this was something that was special for them to do, um, that they enjoyed doing with her. And, um, and I started changing my perspective on what the goal was. So my original goal for my kids and for, um, for my family was that my children would only ever experience deeply respectful and dignified interactions with the people in their lives. And I realized, I realized now that that goal is not realistic. Okay, so I had to really change my goal and shift the goal um, to being that I hope that my children have deep and loving, authentic one-on-one -on -one relationships with the people in their lives. And I had to give up some, some control and I had to start trusting my kids and my parents and the other loved ones um, that they would be able to negotiate those things themselves. Now, of course, when they're babies and there are certain, certain boundaries that you do need to set, for example, um, we don't allow tickling, and that's been a hard boundary um, with all of our relatives, and that my husband and I have no qualms um, setting, you know, and um, most of our family actually agrees with it. Um, but there are other boundaries that I can be looser on, you know, and so finding a balance and finding, um, getting clear on the goal for the boundaries is really, really important. Um, let's see.
Um, Tiffany says, um, Laura, I shared this in a few breastfeeding groups, and I know it will be a question um, with a few who may not to watch it later, um, but how do you set boundaries with family members who don't understand um, a new breastfeeding baby's needs and who may want um, to feed a baby who does not take a bottle? Um, okay, yeah, so this is such a good question, Tiffany. I'm so glad that you asked it. Um, and again, for other people who might be having questions, please jump in and ask questions too. Um, uh, you know, so we have to remember that we are in, we are still in this place of resurgence around breastfeeding, that um, many people are coming from a place where breastfeeding wasn't encouraged, or um, maybe it was, but if you didn't, you know, so what? And and that's all okay. That's all part of their story and part of how, how they've arrived at being grandparents um, or being aunts and uncles. Um, the, I think a little bit of gentle education around this is okay. Um, but I also think the idea of um, and coming to a place of compassion and tapping in to what the, 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 the caregiver or the, um, the well-meaning loved one or the well-meaning relatives, um, and you know, are you hear me using these words? I say this in my head. This is a well-meaning loved one, okay? For most of these interactions, they really do mean the best for the child and coming from that a shift in perspective so that we are not viewing these people as an enemy and we're viewing them as well-meaning is really helpful so if you can get even in a conversation get to the core of what this, these people want out of um, giving a child a bottle you can tap in to their goal and it, oftentimes giving a bottle it's a very intimate experience it's a very bonding experience feeding is a very intimate experience um, we know that I know this as a breastfeeding mom, and but bottle feeding moms know and parents know this too that the act of in, being intimately involved in nourishing your child is a very intimate act, and it makes sense that other caregivers who are longing for a connection with this child want that experience. That doesn't mean you have to let them have that that particular experience, but you can validate the um, the desire. You can validate that they want to be a part of this baby's life. They want to be a part of nourishing this baby, that they want to show their love for this baby by um, helping to nourish them and care for them. And then you give other things that, that are within your boundaries that they can do. You are able to say, I, I see that you care deeply for my child, that you love my child, and that you want um, to nourish them in this way. Um, and that... At the same time, we're choosing to breastfeed and a bottle isn't working for us right now. But I would love it if you could care for her in this way, X, Y, and Z. And this is where you have to give a little bit. This is part of a relationship and there's give and take and balance in a relationship, right? And so if we have a firm boundary around breastfeeding, we need to make a decision around where can we loosen up on our boundaries in other areas so that this firm boundary that we have set is more acceptable. Does that make sense? So um, having a firm boundary is fine. It helps if we can ease up on other areas, our areas that are less central to our core values, so that it, the, the firm boundary is more acceptable, if that makes sense. Okay, so um, the next step um, is to examine how your current behaviors around this boundary are moving you towards um, these goals. And these are the things that we can step back from and ease up on. And so that you know, this is what I'm just 
talking about, um, you know, um, and can we let our kids set, start setting some of these boundaries ourselves themselves? So I have a five and a two and a half year old and um, I have worked hard to empower them to set boundaries around their bodies themselves from infancy. And so um, I have this funny story about my um, daughter when she was like nine months old. If strangers tried to talk to her or touch her in the store, she would like lean away and go like this at them. <laughs> it was so funny. She, she wasn't verbal yet, but she could tell them very clearly she could communicate a physical boundary with them. And I think that's awesome um, and empowering our kids to do that. So often when, um, when we're talking about physical boundaries or other boundaries where um, we've maybe talked with our loved ones outside of this time, we can come back it in and just talk one-on-one -on -one with our children. Get down on their level, validate what's happening to them, um, validate the boundary, and then coach them to set the boundary. So for example, if one a grandparent comes in, swoops in and gives their, um, the, your toddler a kiss and they didn't want it, and they push or hit the grandparent away, you can come in and say, you know, wow, that really surprised you. You weren't expecting a kiss. Maybe you didn't want a kiss right then. You know, next time you can, um, you can ask grandma to ask you first, you know, and, and you're talking to your child and that can send a very clear signal to, um, to the grandparents, um, or the other relative. And then you can trust that soon your child will begin setting these boundaries on their own. Um, so my kids do this all the time. And honestly, it's much more effective coming from them than it is ever going to be from me. For me, it feels like a lecture you know, on, you know, and, and it feels like control, like I'm trying to control the way that they show their affection. From coming from the child, it is just more acceptable from the, for the, on the, from the grandparents. I've noticed this. Um, so um, let's see, it says, what about family mem members who are very controlling, who like to pit family members against each other to achieve their agenda? Oh, Allison, that's so hard. Um, I, I think that it's important to remember what is, what is ours to control and where we have control and set firm boundaries with people who are like that. So, so having in those situations, Allison, where you know that you're going to come up against somebody who is controlling and is going, is going to attempt to infringe on your personal values and your personal goals for your family, you can have set up phrases that set a firm boundary. Um, so um, saying things like, I'm not going to discuss that with you. If you bring it up again, we're going to leave, you know, um, depending on what the boundary is. Sometimes it takes such a strong boundary a few times and then the family system kind of reacts to that for a little while and maybe we can ease back into it. You know, for, so having a kind of a short and sweet phrase, you know, um, saying, I understand that this is important to you, but we are doing this. The topic is closed for discussion. You know, having, and, and there might be blowback for it, Allison, for say, saying something that clear um, and that firm. And that's where the internal boundary comes in. So you, have, you get clear on what your external boundary is going to be, you set it, and then you have a really firm internal boundary so that you are unshakable. And un, you cannot, just like with our kids, you know, when we're setting a boundary and they know when they've pushed a button and they've triggered us, our well-meaning adults in our lives also do this. And so we have to have this sense of being unshakable. Un, you know, you cannot ruffle my feathers. You cannot um, 
shake my resolve. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be cold. One person in my group was talking about how when she sets boundaries, she has she puts up a really strong internal boundary and it makes her come off as cold um, and she gets pushed back for that. Um, you don't have to be cold. You can you can kind of let empathy and compassion out while not letting their stuff in, if that makes sense. So, you know, being, you know I, I, I know, I hear that you don't like this boundary. I hear that you want to talk about this more. I am not going to talk about it more. You can still be compassionate and empathetic and, and still set that firm boundary, if that makes sense. I do think it's important when we're setting boundaries after we have you know, decided what our goal is and how our behavior is going to line up with that and what the boundary is we're going to set. I just want to make sure. Um, um, the next step is to tap, to tap into compassion or empathy or at the very least step into the other person's shoes so that you can see their perspective. And that way when we actually go to set the boundary, we are coming from a more softened compassionate place and when we do that like we learned um, in the last relationship one we did on softening startup with our couple relationships that that applies to these relationships too so when we start from a softer place when we come in from a, a place of you know I know that you are meaning well I know you only want the best for my kids you know and then you set the boundary it, it makes it easier to accept the boundary and not get defensive for the other person so we're met with less defensiveness and then um, I, I guess this doesn't, you know, tapping into compassion doesn't mean that we are excusing harmful behaviors. It just means that we are understanding their origin a little bit better. So, for example, if you have a narcissistic parent um, who makes it really difficult to have any space in the relationship for your own well-being, you can guarantee that that narcissistic parent has their own trauma history. Um, even if they don't recognize it as such, but they likely had a narcissistic parent too, and they have their own stuff going on. And coming to a place where you understand that, and you understand that this is about them, that this says nothing about me. This doesn't say anything about my worth as a child, my importance as, a, as their child, as the adult child of my parent. This doesn't say anything about me. Um, and it also doesn't say anything about my um, worthiness or my reasonableness in setting this boundary, that this is their issue, that this is the, you know, their thing, that is their problem and not my problem. So getting really clear on who owns the problem and owning your part in it and then owning what you have to control with it. And that's where, and then we set the boundary, right? So we set this boundary, we come from a softened place if we can, or if it's appropriate. And sometimes it's not, sometimes significant boundaries have been crossed and it's to the point where it's abusive. And then, then I think we can feel confident in not necessarily being softened, particularly if we've decided that um, we could go either way on maintaining this relationship, um, that we're open to it if we're open to the relationship continuing within our set parameters, within our boundaries, great. But we don't always have to be, you know, if, if you know, intense boundaries have been crossed, we don't always have to be compassionate and soft. Um, we can, if the more minor things that I've been talking about, like with my family, we can be. Um, one example, though, for um, in my family where I am, I draw a hard line is around um, racist speak racist um, or um, gendered speak or body image speak. Um, I draw a very firm line on it, um, honestly, and um, I have no reservations about it, and I'm not soft about it because I don't feel like I need to be soft around racist 
language. Um, I call it what it is. I say it's not tolerated, and if I hear any more of it, we will leave right now. And we are like I'm confident that I will do that. So, um, if you have to set a really firm boundary like that around safety or around a really deep core value, you set it and you be prepared to follow through. Just like when we're setting a boundary with children, right? So if we know we're gonna set a boundary, we don't set it lightly. We make sure that we're prepared to follow through with the boundary and um, we also make sure it's a boundary that we have control over. Um, so if, um, for example, the person is coming to stay with us and maybe they are racist and um, they say racist things at times. If we've decided that this is a firm boundary, um, you can either you know, say, if you come to stay with us, I don't want any of this language in my house. If it does happen in my house, um, I will ask you to leave. I'll be happy to um, help you get a hotel room. Um, and we'll keep our, you know, we'll shorten our visit or whatever. You know, you set a clear boundary ahead of time. Um, and I, yeah, and I, I mean, uh, the same thing. So for if um, I we had a number of people um, bring up um, alcohol and how it changes behavior um, in front of our kids and those types of things. And if you want to have a dry holiday, you say that up front. There will be no alcohol consumed at our Thanksgiving meal. We're hosting it and we get to make that decision. And you feel really, really confident that if they decide not to come or if they um, decide to bring alcohol that you can continue to hold that boundary firm and you can ask them to leave um, and feel really confident about that without any apologies or, you know, I, you know, they, they made a decision. Um, if they are choosing to choose drinking in their holiday over spending their holiday with you, that is a really sad choice and there's room for mourning that for yourself, but there's also room for mourning that for them. That's really, it's really sad that they made that choice, if that makes sense. Um, and you can feel really compassionate, like, gosh, isn't it hard for them that they are so controlled by this, that they are choosing it over the choosing their grandchildren. And I, I feel really bad for that. But it, you don't have to own that problem. Again, like, that's not your problem. Um, the same thing for gifts. I, I, I have come to a place with gift giving that feels really good and really freeing. We are a minim minimalist home. We try to keep our toys very minimal. I know many of you who are watching also feel that way around toys. Um, and we also we have grandparents who love our kids and one grandparent in particular who is far away and wants to show her love and does it with gift giving. Um, and we came to a place where we could no longer, con we realized we did not have any control over whether or not she bought what she was going to buy, whatever she was going to buy. And that was it. We didn't have control over it. It wasn't and it wasn't really our place to control over it. You know, it wasn't our place to tell this grown woman how to spend her money. We just needed, made sure she had the information she needed so she could make the decision that she wanted to make and then we were confident. So we let her know that we weren't going to have, you know, keep toys in this group, you know, so if they were sent to us, we'd gift, gift them or donate them um, out of the house or return them if we could. Um, and we let her, let her know that and Sometimes they still come in, many times they don't, um, and we donate them without feeling guilty about it because she knows that that's a possibility. She knows that we've kind of been upfront about it, and and there it is. And I used to feel really guilty about it, and I used to let it get me really angry. I felt really disrespected every time I opened a care package. And I don't feel that way anymore. I am able to see that this is how she shows her love, and it doesn't have to mean anything about my relationship with her. It doesn't, I don't have to let that mean so much 
And that's that internal boundary. And it feels so good to be able to say, huh, here is a care package that's filled with her love. It's also filled with things we don't need. So well, let's take the love and bask in the love and gift the other things. Donate the other things to kids who maybe do want them or families who do want them in the house. And that's great. That's wonderful. You know, and, um, and it allows me to just get rid of that toxic suffering that I was really causing myself. I don't know if that resonates with any of you who are still watching. Um, okay, so um, we're running out of time. Any last questions? I know there's a lot of you still here. Um, I'm so glad that you were here and watching this. Um, I tried to build in as much of what I could from the Say Anything Mamas and Balanced Parenting group. Um, if there are more questions though, please let me know. Start your own post um, and I'll help you with those because this boundary stuff is so important to me. And I'll let you know too if um, some individual work might be helpful. Um, let's see, Kenzie says, feeling disrespected. That's a great way to describe it. Um, and thanks for the ideas on how to deal with it. Yeah, you know, Kenzie, I, again, this, this internal boundary, you get to decide if you feel disrespected or not. You get to decide how you interpret their behavior. You know, you can change the tone of, of the interaction simply internally, and that doesn't make you a doormat. That doesn't make you um, push down your feelings. That doesn't mean you are entitled to your feelings, but it does mean that you get to choose whether these things cause you suffering, right? And if we don't want that, if we want a holiday that is filled with joy, feeling relaxed and just having fun with our family and at peace, then we just don't let those things in. And we say it's one day. You know, we see these people for a limited amount of time and I feel confident that the, my overarching respectful treatment of my children will far outweigh a moment of borderline disrespectful behavior. You know, or that, that one day with a bunch of plastic toys that I can then declutter after they're back in daycare or when they're napping, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. And, we, and I don't, have to, I don't let, have to let it mean so much if that makes sense. And Liz Marie says, um, yes, I'm constantly asking a certain person to stop bringing stuff into our house every visit. Yeah, and Liz, so you're, you've asked, you've put the boundary out there, and now now you know what to do with it. Now you've set the boundary and you can now declutter those things without guilt and you can let that go. Or you can pack them up into a bag when they're ready to leave and say, okay, these are the things you brought that, you know, that we don't need. Um, would you like to keep them at your house or should I donate them? And that might feel really aggressive to some people. Um, it might feel like that could cause some, some fights or some disagreements. Um, as a family therapist, you know, by training those, those things, yeah, yeah, they're hard. They're, they're hard to do, but I know that on the other side of those difficult interactions is more peace and calm for me. And so I'm able to do them to kind of set those boundaries, confident that we'll make it through to the other side. Um, you also don't have to be that direct. It's up to you. You can wait until they're gone and pack those things up and send them to, you know, a, a toy donation um, place. You know, that's wonderful. You know, lots of kids would love to have those things. And if they're not fitting with your home, we don't need to feel guilty about that. And we don't need to feel guilty about the money that was spent on them either, because that money was spent, they made an informed, educated decision, right? So if we've set the boundary and they've made an informed, educated decision on what to bring to, bring to the home, 
And so that's out of your control. And you don't have any control over that, right? But you do have control over what stays in your home. And that's up to you. And they don't have any control over that, right? And I wish you all luck in setting these boundaries. Again, follow up with me if you need help or support. I'm here for you. These are things that you want to come to a place if it looked nice when I was talking about how like easy and calm I can be around these things now. If you want to get there, I can help you. I really can. You guys have a good day. And again, get in touch with me if I can help you in any way. Okay, okay that's it for this episode. Until we meet again, keep taking really good care of your families, each other, and yourselves. And remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.